Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the difference between a citizen and a resident, a meaty middle about the word let's, and a tidbit about the word fangle. Twitter user BatCrewRon5 recently asked me to explain the difference between a citizen and a resident. He said he hears those terms mixed up even on good media outlets. Here's the deal everyone agrees that countries confer citizenship. So I'm a citizen of the United States. It gets trickier when you get to the city and state level, though. The AP Stylebook specifically says that states do not confer citizenship. But Garner's Modern American Usage says that in the United States, you can use citizen or resident when referencing a state. Since Brian Garner is a lawyer, I tend to think he knows what he's talking about for this kind of stuff. So at least in the legal realm, it's likely okay to call me a citizen of Nevada. Further, the Oxford English Dictionary shows that the word citizen has a long history of being used to refer to an inhabitant of a city or town. Still, since the Associated Press specifically recommends against calling people citizens of cities or states, and the Chicago Manual of Style seems to agree— I'd still say that in regular writing, you should stick to using citizen for people in countries and resident for people in cities and states. I'm a citizen of the United States, but I'm a resident of Reno and Nevada. One reason people may be confused is that we sometimes do talk in general about being a good citizen, and that can mean doing something like voting in your city elections or picking up trash at a local park but that's a slightly different meaning for the word citizen. And even though Batcrew Ron 5 didn't ask about monarchies, I'll add that in monarchies, citizens are also sometimes referred to as subjects. Being a subject means that you owe allegiance to a king or a queen. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Use citizen to describe legal inhabitants of countries, subject is okay if it's a monarchy, and use resident for people in cities and states. And now, on to the meaty middle. One of my followers on Twitter named Aaron Albrooks tweeted, Why does let's know when you arrive sound weird, but let us know when you arrive doesn't? It was a good question, and I tweeted back at him, and conversely, let us go to the mall sounds weird, but let's go to the mall sounds fine. 
Also, imagine a group of prisoners begging their captor to set them free. Let us go makes sense. Let's go doesn't. What's going on with let us and let's? Well, let's find out. Traditional English grammar doesn't distinguish sentences like let's go and let us know. It classifies them both as imperatives. The understood subject of each is you, and us is the direct object of let. But as Aaron noticed, the two kinds of sentences don't behave the same way. Sometimes you can contract a let us to let's, and sometimes you can't. In fact, as reported in the Cambridge Grammar of the English Language, this is only one of five differences between sentences beginning with let's and let us. And at this point, we need to have a name to refer to the two kinds of let sentences. The Cambridge Grammar of the English Language, CGEL for short, refers to sentences like let us know as ordinary imperatives, and to sentences like let's go as first-person inclusive let imperatives. By first-person inclusive, the authors mean that if I say let's go, I'm not talking about me and some other people. I'm talking about me and you. They also use the term open let imperatives to refer to very similar sentences that don't involve the word us. These are sentences such as let x be a rational number between zero and infinity, let that be a lesson to you, or what God has joined together, let no one put asunder, or even sentences with dummy subjects, such as let it snow and let there be light. I'll use the term special let imperatives to refer to both kinds, both first-person inclusive let imperatives and open let imperatives. We'll just call them special let imperatives. Not only is this term more convenient, but also most of the differences we're going to talk about apply to both kinds of special let imperatives. Now, on to the differences between ordinary imperatives and special let imperatives. The first one that CGEL lists is about the contraction of us, which is what Aaron was noticing. CGEL points out that us cannot be contracted in ordinary imperatives, which is exactly what Aaron tried to do when he wrote, let's know when you arrive. CGEL states further that you can't contract us in declarative or interrogative sentences either. You wouldn't say, they didn't want to let's join in, instead of, they didn't want to let us join in. And you wouldn't say, will you make breakfast, instead of, will you make us breakfast? And actually, this is an inadvisable question anyway, because the person you're asking may just answer, abracadabra, your breakfast. We covered that in a previous podcast episode. Not only can you contract let us if you're uttering a special let imperative, usually you will. The most common place to hear an uncontracted let us is in a religious context, probably in the sentence, let us pray or let us rejoice. For example, when I checked the corpus of contemporary American English, the top two words most associated with uncontracted let us are rejoice and pray. I also found that with negative suggestions, let us not is more common than you'd expect, although it's still in the minority compared to let's not. Interestingly, let us not is especially common with the verb forget. In fact, that one verb flips the usual pattern, 
So that let us not forget is actually almost three times as common as let's not forget. And if any of you have guesses as to why the verb forget changes the pattern, please leave a comment. The second difference between ordinary imperatives and special let imperatives has to do with whether you can have an explicit subject. For an ordinary imperative, the subject can be understood, as in the command, be quiet, or it can be explicit, as in, no, you be quiet, or all right there, everyone be quiet. However, take the sentence, let's go, and put a you in front of it, you let's go, and it doesn't make sense anymore. And I'm laughing as I imagine the classic holiday tune, let it snow, no, you let it snow, no, you let it snow. The third difference has to do with interrogative tags. These are sequences of a contracted auxiliary verb and a pronoun that you can put at the end of a sentence, such as isn't it, doesn't she, or am I, to turn it into a question. Usually, these come at the end of a declarative sentence, as in, it's hot, isn't it? But you can use the tags will you, won't you, and would you after an ordinary imperative. For example, you could say, give me a hand, would you? Or keep it down, will you? But this doesn't work with first-person inclusive let imperatives. Let's go, will you? Well, that doesn't make any more sense than you let's go. On the other hand, you can say, let's go, shall we? Which shouldn't be possible at all if the subject of let's go is truly an understood you. The fourth difference has to do with negation. If you want to suggest not doing something, there are at least two ways to do it with a first-person inclusive let imperative. The most common way to negate let's go is let's not go. But another way is don't let's go. They both mean the same thing. With an ordinary imperative, though, the way you negate it affects the meaning. For example, let's consider an ordinary imperative sentence about a party. If your teenage kids say to you, let us go to the party, it's probably a party that their friends are having, and they're requesting permission to go. On the other hand, if they say, let us not go to the party, it's probably a party your friends are having, and your kids are asking permission to stay home. And if they say, don't let us go to the party, it's probably once again a party their friends are having, but this time they don't want to go, and they want you to give them a socially acceptable reason to avoid it. Yeah, sorry, my boring, overprotective parents won't let me. And that's a pretty big difference in meaning. The final difference for a first-person-led imperative involves ellipsis. Not the punctuation mark, but grammatical ellipsis. Ellipsis is the use of just a fragment of a sentence when the rest of it is clear from context. With an ordinary imperative, like Aaron's let us know when you arrive, someone else can second the request and say, yes, please do, instead of saying the full sentence, yes, please do let us know when you arrive. Alternatively, they could negate the request by saying, no, please don't. In contrast with our let's go example, you can second the suggestion by saying, yes, let's, or reject it by saying, no, let's not. But you can't say, yes, please do, or no, please don't. All these differences between ordinary imperatives and first-person inclusive-led imperatives 
show us just how much it has become specialized. Rodney Huddleston and Jeff Pullum, the authors of CGEL, even argue that it's so specialized now that it shouldn't even be analyzed as an imperative anymore. They argue that we should think of let's as a special marker that introduces a first-person imperative. One piece of evidence they cite has to do with first-person inclusive-led imperatives that put in an explicit subject between the let's and the verb, as in, let's you and me go to the mall. Some speakers would say it this way, let's you and I go to the mall. The subjective pronoun I, the linguists argue, shows that these speakers don't think of the noun phrase you and I as the object of let anymore, and are treating it as the subject of go. I don't find this argument convincing, because it's also well known that many speakers routinely use I instead of me when they coordinate it with another pronoun, because they consider it to be more formal or polite. Just think of all the confusion over the phrase between you and me, which is the standard version, and between you and I. Thanks to Aaron for pointing us to such an interesting topic. I don't know about the rest of you, but talking about this is making me hungry, maybe for a nice bacon let's and tomato sandwich. That segment was written by Neil Whitman, who has a PhD in linguistics and blogs at literalminded.wordpress.com. And now let's get fangled. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably don't have a problem with new technology, but maybe you have a few tech-averse friends or family members who don't have a lot of love for all these newfangled pieces of gadgetry. But what does fangled mean, anyway? If something is newfangled, does that mean it's been recently fangled? How would you go about fangling something? Or maybe fangle isn't a verb, but a noun, and something that's newfangled has been newly equipped with a lot of fangles. Well, as it turns out, speakers have been unsure about this for more than 500 years. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, fangle has been interpreted both as a verb meaning to create and as a noun meaning a silly invention. However, the fangle in newfangled was originally neither a verb nor a noun, but an adjective. It came from a now archaic verb, fang, which meant to grasp or seize, and an equally archaic suffix, le. Add the suffix le to a verb, and you get an adjective describing someone or something inclined to do the thing described by the verb. So fangle means inclined to seize or grasp. And in Middle English, newfangle meant inclined to seize the new. Later on, the ed suffix got attached to the end, and both people and their actions or things were described as newfangled. And these days, people seem to have settled on using newfangled to just describe things. And that was your tidbit. Fangled comes from an archaic verb fang that meant to grasp or seize, and then eventually came to mean inclined to seize the new. That segment was also written by Neil Whitman. Remember that you can find him at literalminded.wordpress.com. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles and old podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. Find the education menu in the middle and choose Grammar. That's all. Thanks for listening. Want to make mom's day? 
Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.